But it's a joy to be here, and I'm so thankful. I, I've been looking forward. I was telling Brother Paul, I don't think I've ever preached in Wisconsin. I'm not sure I've ever been to this state before. Uh, down south, when they say Wisconsin, we think about coal. That's all we think about, coal, you know, cold weather. And uh, such a joy to be here. I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. And I want to give you just a little history. I'm not going to preach too long tonight. But after all, just two nights here, you know, I... You know, I mean, you know, you can put up with me, I guess, for a little while. Thank you, brother. I, uh, that's fine. Right there. I won't bother. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. Yeah. Uh, you was talking about all these fellas, you know, I guess I'm getting old. I remember B.R. Lakin used to preach for us years ago. He's with the Lord now. B.R. told this story. He said, brother Bobby said, I was staying in this motel. And said, I was trying to win this lady to the Lord that was cleaning the room. And I was going through the plan of salvation with her. And said, uh, she said, I don't have no education. He said, you don't have to have education to get saved. Said, uh, why, Abraham Lincoln, he was president of the United States. And he only had about sixth grade education. And she said, is that right? Did y'all go to school together? So... <laughs> Dr. Lincoln used to tell that story. But some, sometime I feel like I've been to school with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but, you know, I've been married all my life. We got married and was five, you know. <laughs> I have a wonderful family. I've been married 56 years. Last November, I have a wonderful wife, four children, 10 grandchildren, and 12 great-grandchildren. We had a wonderful family. My oldest grandchild is, uh, went to Trinity back when Dr. Gray was there. I think he graduated in 91 or something like that, 92. And he's up in the state of Virginia, a pastor. I don't get to see him very often. He's 30, about 32 or 3 years old. I've been there 10 years. God's blessed that old boy. He's been running about seven or 800, and he called me this morning. He, he calls me Papa. All of them call me Papa. He said, Papa, I know you're busy, but oh, what a day we had. We had 2,100 and some people. I said, where in the world you get them at, son? He said, I don't know. But he said, we packed everywhere. And uh, 40-some professions, I believe. Now, he'd never had nothing like that before, you know, and that thrilled me. That really did. I stayed busy, and of course, he's got to be busy, too. And I said, I'm going to be home, Lord, well, next week now. He said, Papa, I'm going to call you. I'm going to come down. We're going to eat together. I said, okay. And uh, But but God's good to me. You, many of you know Steve, our oldest child. He was with me 29 years, left me four years ago. He's pastoring in Chattanooga now. And uh, then my oldest daughter, one of our preacher boys, and uh, he's pastored four or five times. He's in evangelism now. So God's given us some wonderful, wonderful family, and I'm so thankful uh, for it. I really am. Now, let me tell you a little history about Larry Brown and Roger Volton and all that crap. Back in 1975, I think it's right, or 76, I got a letter one day, and uh, I couldn't believe it from Hiles Anderson College wanting to give me a degree. And I was really going to turn it down. I mean, I read that letter. Uh, Jim Jim Vineyard was there at that time, and Jim had wrote the letter, and uh, and and I, I know I, my first cousin was my secretary. I've only had two secretaries. My baby had four children. My baby's been my secretary twenty six years now, uh, Molly. But anyway, my my first cousin was my other secretary, uh, first one I had, and and she said you ought not turn that down. She said uh, they they've been nice enough wanting to give you something like this. So anyway. Uh, we flew, I flew to, to, uh, uh, Chicago and I had 35 people that paid their own plane ticket to go up there and see me get that piece of paper. And, uh, and Roger Volton got his the same night. That's where I met Brother Volton was there. We got a degree the same night. And so we became friends. I guess it was 1985. I think about nine or 10 years later, he called me. He said, Brother Bobby, I want you to speak at my, at my uh, graduation. So I, I went to Fairhaven and spoke at graduation. And so after it's over with, he started reading my history. And I thought, where'd she get that? And he called me up and gave me a degree. 
And, uh, and, and so I got one from over there. And, and, I, and I went back home. I asked my boy, I said, I said son, what does this mean? I said, he gave me a doctor of humanities. And you know what he said? He said, that just means you believe in humans. And uh, so I guess that's what it means. I don't know. And uh, Dr. Gray down in Jacksonville. But I'm going to tell you, I tell him it don't help you any really. You know, you appreciate it. It's, it's like the curl on a pig's tail. You ain't got any more ham. Don't do a bit of good. Don't do a bit of good, no. And uh, just, just lay it aside. You know, I'm not used to being called doc. If you come to Gospel Light and you call me Dr. Robertson, they're looking for Lee Robertson. <laughs> they don't know. But it's Bobby and Brother Bobby and Preacher and all that, you know. But anyway, Roger's been my friend. I've preached several times at Fairhaven. Now, Larry Brown, we were running about, when I came to God, I'm a second pastor, okay? I was born two miles from a church. That's unusual, isn't it? My home church is three miles away. I remember when Gospel Light was started. I remember a young man, a young man that said he'd put up a gospel tent over there. And I never did get to go. And he started a church with nine members, built a little block building. And uh, Paul, if you remember the little block building down the road, half of that was what was there when I came there. Anyway, I met this man. I, uh, he had Dr. Seitler, and I always loved to hear him preach. And I'd go in revival. And so he, this man stayed there for seven years and uh, he went into evangelism and recommended me. So they called me and I accepted the first Sunday in July, 1956. Don't seem like all those years have passed. And uh, I, I'm just a country boy, as you know. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm ignorant, but I'm not proud of it. You know, <laughs> I'm not bragging about it. And uh, nobody, when I got saved, God called me to preach two years afterward. I fought it because I didn't have the education. I was married. We had two kids. I felt like I couldn't. Nobody asked me to go to college, to be honest with you. A little church where I got saved, nobody was in college from there. And back in those days, I got saved in 1948. And uh, anyway, God called me to preach. In 1950, I surrendered to call to preach. And uh, so I... Uh, I just, and then, and then God called me over there to that church. What I started to say, God blessed, and we were running. Sometimes people say, well, how in the world did you do it? I don't know. Just, but we were running regularly seven and eight and nine hundred in Sunday school. I didn't have a sister pastor. I didn't have a secretary. And I got Wally Beebe calling help with the bus ministry. Wally said, you need a secretary. And I said, I know it, Wally. At that time, there was no houses, two houses in the, in the, uh, from where you could see the church. And I said, well, if we get a lady over here, she'll be afraid to stay back here. Now it's built up around there now. And then I said, I couldn't come into church in the daytime. If I did, somebody would say I was running around with a secretary. And so I just fought it off. But I won my first cousin to the Lord. She became a secretary. And then Larry Brown and his family moved there's a college in Western Piedmont Bible College, eight miles from me. So Larry and his sisters and his mother and daddy moved to our place. They moved with their kids and they put them in college there. Oh, Larry's an old country boy. And I thought now, he was 19 years old. I thought now, he'd make me a good sister. And so we hired Larry. I remember I got him to write a letter one time. He made the biggest mess out of it. And I said, you can't be no secretary, Larry. <laughs> But Larry was my assistant for seven and a half years. And uh, he told me about some folks in, in uh, Iowa, Washington, Iowa, wanting to start an independent Baptist church. And Wally Beebe had told him about it. him. And I just married him and Diane at that time. She's from our church. They flew out there. To make a long story short, they finally accepted, I think it's 30-some people. And it don't seem real. Time moves, don't it? It's been over 30 years, like you said. And so I'm Larry's pastor. And I'm Diane's pastor, his wife, and, uh, and her mother passed away years ago. Her dad never remarried. And his dad passed away five, six years ago. And if you ever come to Gospel Light and a little being over woman sings back up in the corner, that's Larry's mother. She's been singing in the choir for 35 years or more. And uh, Mr. Norman, his wife's dad, he's always there, just sitting right there, good old-fashioned Christian. So it's an honor to be their pastor. And so you'll enjoy, I don't know where you've ever had Larry here or not. You just get out of his way. I don't know where he'll end up at, but, but he's a preacher and he loves the Lord and has never been a better man 
with a sure heart than Larry Brown. And so when he gets here Thursday and Friday night, you tell him his pastor said, now behave if he can. Okay, you do that. You tell him. But I just want to tell you, I just, just sit, sit there thinking about all that. Just talking about Larry and Brother Fulton and, and all those folks that I, I've uh, had the privilege of knowing uh, for many years. And then Terry, I remember when Larry hired Terry and I met him there. And so you heard some good preaching with Terry last night. He's, he's a good preacher. And I'm sorry, Brother Bolton can't be here. You'd hear some good preaching for him, too. But I'll just pinch hit for him, Lord willing, tomorrow night. In just a few minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to read some in Nehemiah chapter six. But let me just review the story up to this. You know, maybe, not, maybe somebody here is not familiar with this. Nehemiah chapter six in just a few minutes. You know, the Lord told the children of Israel, if, if you don't, Obey me, let the land rest and so on. I'm going to send you into captivity. Well, you know, he did. He allowed the Babylonians to come in and invade Jerusalem. And uh, they broke the walls down. Uh, they burnt the gates. They destroyed the temple. The place was destroyed. And, uh, and a remnant of them they took down into Babylon. And Nehemiah was in that group. And here they are down there, and the city has been destroyed. Okay, then this one man named Hanani went down there from the remnant that was left in Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah asked him, how is things back up home? And he said, we're lying in great reproach and affliction. He said, the place where our forefathers stood has all been destroyed. And he told him the story. Now, folks, today, I hate to say it, don't get you on juniper tree, but I've been around quite a while, and it breaks my heart down south to see so many of our places who one time stood for old-time religion and are not standing anymore. Now, that's sad. I'm just comparing that kind of like it was in Nehemiah's day. Okay, and and you read this. It's in the, don't turn to it, but in the first chapter. And when Nehemiah heard them words, what he said, what this man told him, the Bible said he sat down and cried. He sat down and wept. You know, there's a great ministry in tears. You don't hear see tears much anymore, do you? But uh, he sat down and wept when he heard about it. He was brokenhearted. He got in his mind what that place must have looked like. He was the king's cupbearer. So one day he goes in to bear the cup to the king, and the king asked him, said, why are you so sad? You're not sick. He said, how could I help me, he said, when the place where my forefathers stood has been destroyed. And he got permission from the king to go back up and review the ruins of Jerusalem. And there's a few men went with him. And he said for three days and nights he was there. And if you read that, I believe that's the second chapter. He said, I told no man what God had put in my heart to do. God began to work in his heart about it. And uh, and so he goes back and told, tells the people there uh, back to where he was at, and he gives them the story, and they say, let us rise up and build. So he started to build in back. Now, you know, those walls in Jerusalem stood for something. Those walls stood for separation. You see, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And those walls were where they were in, and outside was uh, so the heathens. But it'd been broken down. Now we shouldn't be a holier than thou people, but I'm saying there ought to be a difference in our life if we're Christian. One preacher said one time, he said the world's got so got got so religious, and and, and said that the church has got uh, so worldly, and the world's got so church you can't hardly tell them apart. And that's about the truth, isn't it? We need some walls built back. So this man Nehemiah starts building those walls and opposition came in. Man named Sinbadiot, Tobiah, the Arabians, they laughed at him. They said, why well, you bunch of feeble Jews, why what you'd build, a fox could tear it down. But they didn't quit. Now let's read a few verses here in the sixth chapter. All right, look here in the sixth chapter. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, 
Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Notice, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers on them saying, I'm doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why, why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto him four times. He come back four times after this sort. And I answered them the same manner. Then sent, sent Sanbagat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time. An open letter uh, in his hand. Wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen. And Geshem saith it that thou and the Jews think to rebel. Uh, and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let's take counsel together. You see, they're telling all kinds of things. For four times, them wicked men said, come on down, let's have a little fellowship. Them, I said, I can't. I don't fellowship with liberals and moderates. That's about what it meant, you know, to us today. He said, this is great work. This is God's work. I, I can't come down four different times. And then they start telling lies. Says it's all going all around town that you're building a kingdom for yourself. And he said, that's not so. He said, no. And then look verse 8. He said, then I sent unto him, saying, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou finest them out of thine own heart. And they all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I'm going to stop right there. I want to talk to you tonight on what it's going to take for you and I to keep on. You notice what Nehemiah said, it's a great work and I cannot come down. And I believe there's some things that we need to, now, now I've been pastoring some people for a long year. Thank God I've got some that's been there for 40 some years is steadfast. But I tell you, there's been a lot of them that started off and said, Brother Bobby, I'll be with you through thick and thin, and they're gone. And I'm just saying tonight, you and I, you people who are members of this church, you just stick with this pastor right here, and you probably determined to do it right now. But if you're not careful, Satan will do something along the way and get you to drop out by the wayside. But we need to stay on that wall. The work's not done. The work's not done till Jesus comes. And we need to be faithful. Be steadfast, unmovable, always, always abound in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Very simple thing. You find my preaching very simple anyway. I was preaching in Missouri a while back and I got the sweetest letter from some fellas, several guys that was visiting there and one of them wrote me and he said, Brother Bobby, you sure are a simple preacher, but I really liked it. And uh, so I, I want you to understand. But I want to say number one tonight, we must keep a vision of the need, my friend. You know what the Bible said in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen: without a vision, men perish. That's right. If there's no vision, men perish. Now, now, now you follow in here for just a few minutes. Nehemiah, when he heard those words, he sat down and wept. And when he went up and viewed those walls, he said, I told no man what God put in my heart. Nehemiah kept before him all the time the need. And folks, men, you've got to realize there's a need. We've got to keep that vision of the need around the place where you're at right here. Milwaukee, it gets greater need all the time. There's not time to throw in the towel. And if you notice, there's opposition. And anything that's worth anything is going to be opposition. But we must keep that vision all the time. Let me just share with you. I never thought about the bus ministry as I remember. And about 38 years ago, one Sunday morning, I got a call, beautiful sunny sun in, in the summertime, a call to a home one of our members had passed away. 
And I was trying to go comfort the people and get back to church that morning. I think it was eight or ten miles from the church. I went to see the folks, and I'm on my way back. I'm trying to get there to preach at 11 o'clock. You know, us pastors are not out there at 10 o'clock and 10.30, you know, usually. And, and, and I don't want to never forget this, folks. About four miles, five miles from my church, there was a mobile home park. It must have had, and by the way, it's still there. It must have had at least 75 or more mobile homes. And there was, I'm going to say, 30 or more little boys and girls. I guess the neighbors, you know, all lived in there. And they was up there close, not far from the highway, at in playing around together. I don't want to forget that. I just happened to look out. Brother Paul, when I did, I seen those little boys and girls at 10, 15, 10, 30 in the morning. Now, God didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but just about, I think. It come to me just like that. Bobby, I want you to do something to get them little boys and girls to hear about Jesus. They'll go to hell. I'll never know. That's been 38 or 39 years ago. And that thing stays in my mind all the time. When troubles come in our bus ministry, and they do, I can see them little boys and girls again. You know, I, I kept that thing, and I don't remember now, it's been so long, maybe three months later. I was in a place called Habity Grace, Maryland, preaching. About, uh, best I remember, 40 miles out of uh, Baltimore. I was preaching for this preacher. They didn't have a bus ministry. Small church. He and I was riding down the highway there one day. And I said, Roy, I want to tell you something. And I started sharing the burden. And I said, Roy, I can see them little boys and girls on Sunday morning in my mind. He said, Brother Bobby, he said, if, if you're interested in some old school buses, we can keep going down this highway. About 10 miles down the road, there must be 200 of them in the field. A man sells them. Isn't that amazing? I said, just keep going, preacher. And we got down there, and there was a bunch of old buses, school buses out there. I got out there and got to look at them things. I got excited. I don't know why I picked me out four of them. 59 Ford school buses, 59 model Ford, 48 pastors. The man said, I want $900 piece for $3,600. If you want all, all four of them, you can have them for $3,500. I didn't know he was Jewish. You know, you never give a man the first, you know, first, you know, always try to get there. And I made a statement. I said, can't I, can I do you down? Boy, that made him mad. Oh, my soul. He told me. He told me off. He didn't care where I bought his buses, and I backed up and apologized. And I told him, I said, sir, I'll let you know in just a day or two. I went home and called my deacons together. And I shared with them that, that vision God showed me. And I told them they all voted. We brought up before the church to buy those buses. I never drove a school bus before. And three more fellows myself. I remember at that time it cost $35 from Winston-Salem to Baltimore on an airplane. And we got on there, three of us, four of us that is, one Monday morning. And we went up, that man came out to the airport, got us in his car, went out there, and they worked on them old buses and put light bulbs in them and all this stuff. And at 4 o'clock on Monday evening, got them all lined up, and we started towards Winston-Salem. We drove all night. I never will forget, one of them run hot all the night. We had to stop and doctor that thing. And they, put, they said, preach, we're going to lose you. They put me in the middle, you know, so it might make sure that mine was going to run. But we pulled in. At seven o'clock on Tuesday morning. And, and, and Paul, you've been there. Nothing was paved around there at that time. And a lot of those buildings weren't there. And we parked those things back down yonder, those four by six. I, I didn't get up and talk about them every service, but I, I'd throw out a thought, throw out a thought. And one Sunday morning, Bobby Willard, you don't know him, most unusual fella. Here he come down the aisle. And I thought, Lord, I made a mess now. You know, God uses people that surrender to Him. That's right. 
Old Bobby's just, he's just blunt. And I've been his pastor now for 40 some years. I tell him what I'm telling you. And you know what he said? I said, Bob, what'd you come forward for? And this is an invitation. He saw one of them buses you've been talking about. That's the way he put it. I said, where are you going? Over to the south side of Winston-Salem, get them youngins been preaching about. I said, there it is. Listen, I can remember folks as good as yesterday. Six weeks later, he come to me. Now that boy get out there and work on Saturday. Six weeks later, he come to me and said, Preacher, I got to have something. Another bus. I had 92 this morning on my bus, and I just can't pack them that thick. <laughs> and we got somebody to drive his other bus and let him have another. Now, wait a minute. That's been a, that's been a good 38 years. Old Bobby Willard's still in it. Bobby Willard, this past Sunday, had exactly 70 on his bus. Amen. He's been in it for 38 years. He said, preacher, every time I think I'm getting too old, you'll hit at it and I have to go back again. His health is not good. He's probably, I don't know, he's 65, 66 years old. But he goes out there on Saturday, takes somebody with him and knocks on them doors. Listen, you and I are going to be surprised when we stand to the judgment seat of Christ when the Lord's going to reward some of those that you never heard of, but they were faithful, my friend. And he was one of the men that are faithful. There's been a lot of people saved through his bus ministry. Years ago, he'd come by my house about 9 o'clock on Saturday night and want to find a post hole digger. I said, what do you want a post hole digger tonight? <laughs> Everybody couldn't run a bus like him. He said, there's a woman over here on my bus ride. This means the devil. Says she's got five children. I've been picking up her children and she's going to, I can't even know her, but she's going to make her children stay home tomorrow to put up a clothesline to dry the clothes on. And I'm determined I'm going to bring them kids and I want a post hole there. I'm going to her at night and put up that thing for her. He went over there on Saturday night, 10 o'clock, dug holes and put up her a clothesline and got those kids. I remember being in his home one Saturday evening years ago. Stopped by his six or seven little old boys and girls in his living room. And I said, where, where are these? And he said, oh, me and Laureen brought them home. Said their mom and dad said they're just sots. They don't care. And said they just stay drunk all the time. And said, we brought them home. Fed them supper. And they're going to sleep in the living room tonight. And going to take them to church in the morning. Now, you know, folks. What I'm trying to say, I'm not bragging, I'm just trying to say a vision is very important. It's very important. Listen, now you may never get anything that big, but what you want to do here at this church, and listen, if Nehemiah had lost his vision, he would have quit when persecutions came. But he did not do it. And you right here in this church, if Jesus tears is coming, you want to keep a vision of keep reaching and keep going and keep going. Now those old buses, you know, you get another one. Somebody says, where do you get them? And where do you get them? We got 50-some buses, and I'm not really for sure. I think last week it told me that we have 41 runs every Sunday and uh, seven or eight old vans, all volunteer, 65- and 70-year-old men and women going out there knocking over. We had 1,520 Sunday on the buses. Now, you see all them in your auditorium. I couldn't take. I was auditorium since 2,200. We had 2,982, I believe, in Sunday school. But I couldn't handle them for dead. Some of them's never been inside church. Folks, we need mission work, but we got a bunch of heathens right here at home. If you understand what I'm saying. And we got about seven churches on Sunday morning broke down. I mean, kids never been in. They don't know how to act when they come to church. And you just about have to manhandle them sometime. But bless God, to get Jesus in their heart. And it makes a difference, you see. And I'm just saying, where it's a bus ministry, where it's a Volkswagen ministry, I don't care what it is. We need a vision to reach out there and rescue the person and care for the dying all the time. We must do it. A young man came to me, a good man from North Carolina, several years ago. He said, I've been out west 
in the state of Montana. He said, Brother Bobby, oh, God showed me this place needs something so bad. And we helped him for a year or two. And I was out there uh, preaching 15 or 20 miles where he's from. He'd come out there, want me to take him. He built a building. He was doing good. And I don't know how many years, five, six years or so. And then he walked in my office one day and I said, what you doing here? He said, well, I'm back. I've lost my burden. I said, you lost your burden. What do you mean? He said, well, he said, I just lost my burden and I gave it up. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying the man's out of the will of God, but if, if he had that same vision that he had a few years before that, he'd have stayed in there. You see what I'm trying to say? And when we lose that vision, people perish. People perish. All around. Listen, you folks don't have churches like we Did you know, you wouldn't believe this, but did you know five miles from our church, five mile radius here, five, 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 all around, there's 23 Baptist churches. You couldn't believe that out here, could you? And we've got some good churches, thank God. But gospel light's not touching the hem of the garden. And we've got some good But I, as, as being born there 73 years ago and been there all my life, we got just gangs of churches 40 years ago. Used to be soul winners churches and thriving. And now they've just dried up and dry, great big old auditoriums just dried up and have a little study. We need to study the Bible. Well, let me tell you, God's not interested in how deep you and I go. He's interested in lost souls, I chunder. That's what he's after. And I'm saying they just lose, they lose it. That's what I'm talking about. And then I want to say secondly, if I don't get on with this, I'll preach tomorrow. I'll say secondly, as I believe we've got to do it, is to keep our heart in the Word. Yep. You ever hear people say, well, if I could just get my heart in, let me tell you, I can get some heart in, get treasure going. You know what Matthew 6 says? Where your treasure is, your heart will be there. That's right. Treasure and souls. Tra- your heart will stay there. Yeah. I remember some years ago, I was pre- I preached a whole lot in West Virginia. Him hillbillies like me up there. I'm not far away. We are talking about names. I said for a while, but any of you ever heard of Big Ugly West Virginia? I preached, about, I, preached, I preached about five miles down the road, and I seen Big Ugly. But I asked the pastor, I said, is this what? The, he said, yeah, Big Ugly is a little town right up here. I said, I didn't know. And he said, yeah. He looked around, he said, I don't believe we have any Big Ugly people here tonight. He said, I used to recognize them. I said, you come down gospel light, and I can show you a whole lot of <laughs> Boomer, Big Ugly, Bolt, uh, Crow. I used to preach to Brother Ham over at Crow, you know, <laughs> at all those places. But one of our, me and our church businessman went with me one day. I was preaching down close to Gawley Bridge. And, and uh, all it was there, it was an old hotel, old hotel, about a two or three store hotel. And right across the road was a place where they, where they caught the bus. And there's a little, little restaurant there, you know. This man, he, he has a lot of uh, stock. I knew that. So he got his own room, and good thing it did. I mean, my room was a little, it wasn't room enough for him. He said, I'll get my own room, preacher, go away, and he did. He knocked on my door the next morning. He said, preacher, I'm going over here and get me a cup of coffee. And then he come back, and he said, uh, you know, I made $4,500. Think about it, just coming up here with you. And one day, well, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I said, what do you mean he made $4,500? And you know what he was doing? He was getting him a paper watching how the stock went. And I'm just bringing the point out. I'm not saying it's wrong for him to have stock. But he had some treasure there. And every morning, I found out he wasn't going to get the coffee. He's going to get him a newspaper so he could see how his stock was. See, he had some treasure there and his heart was there. I couldn't have cared less. I wouldn't even know how to read the thing about stock myself. So I had no treasure there, and I didn't care. Now, we have a Christian school, and sometimes, and I don't know all the people come, but sometimes some some parent come up to me, you know, and, and they want to suggest some, you know, good things. And Brother Robertson, don't you think this will help our school, this will help our school, this, and, and you know, begin to tell you, and I'll say, uh, 
You have some children in our school, don't you? Yes, I do. You know why they're interested? They got some treasure there. That's exactly what it is. And I've seen a whole lot of them after the kids graduate. I don't see them about it no more. I don't really even care what happened to it. The treasure's not there. Now, what I've got to do is keep my treasures right. That's, that's very important. Keep my treasure. Here's a verse of scripture that I want to give you that I think about it so much. Listen to it in Proverbs 4.23. Listen. He says, keep thy heart. Notice, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We've got to keep our heart in the work of God. Keep thy heart, for out of your heart are the issues of life. What does the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart a man speaks. Okay. Now, now, now we've got to watch this thing of not letting bitterness get in our heart. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that root of bitterness. I think about the first treasure that was in gospel life when I come there. He's, he's passed away now. But that man, he had the joy of the Lord. I used to sing in the choir. And used to see him get so happy, tears would flow down his cheek. And once in a while, he let out a war hoop. And it was real. I mean, he's just such a blessing. But I seen that man begin to just lose that joy. And then the first thing, he wanted to give his job up, and he did, his trace of church. And then the first thing you know, he just comes Sunday morning. And he come to me one day. I don't have any use for him. I mean, he was bitter. That's sad. But I'm going to tell you, folks, that bitterness took the desires out of his heart. Now, it may be that a, a kid, it may be a brother or sister, maybe something it happens where you work, but you better keep that heart. Be very, very careful. One of my precious members the other day came to me and has been hurt through some things very bad. It hurts to be hurt. And that member come in and said, Pastor, you've got to pray for me. You've got to, I'm fighting bitterness, Pastor. I've done seen too many people. And brother, when we don't keep that heart right with God, we won't stay in the work of God. Right. Your pastor is like me. I've, you know, it hurts to be hurt. And somebody criticizes you and all that. We have to fight that thing. You lose your joy. And I know of preachers, I know of preachers down south, good men, but they don't have any joy and they're not in the work of God. I know a man, I don't know what happened in his church, but some way they voted him out. He and I had a funeral after that together about a year or two after that. One of my new converts was riding in the car with us, a man. And I looked over at my preacher friend. I wanted to be nice. I didn't know where he was pastoring enough. And I said, sir, are you pastoring now? And you know what he said? No, and I never intend to pastor another church. It's all a hypocrites in it. Boy, it's just cold. We was going to the cemetery with this body. Cold. See, that man's not even in the work of God. He's not trying to build the walls. A good man. If you notice that verse in Proverbs 23, he said, keep thy heart. He didn't say he was. He said, something I better guard. Let me tell you, Paul, after that preacher got out, that, that fellow with me, he's 42 years old. He didn't know he was a hypocrite in the world. He's just happy. He'd been saved long. You know what he said when he was going back up the road? Preacher, you think he's even saved? <laughs> and I said, yeah, he's been saved, but he's been hurt. Right. Now, I could pull up and park there, but I'm just trying to say, now listen, Nehemiah, he got criticized. They said, while well, they accused him trying to build a kingdom of his own. And all of that. Now, if he had stopped and took that literally in him, he would have given up and lost a zeal and desire to build them walls. And we better, and I can't say enough about that. But remember, watch that, watch that heart. Keep that heart in the work of God. Amen. That's why I don't leave gospel light very often. I, last year, I'm not bragging. God knows it's no, but I just, I was gone one Sunday 
last year and last two years. And I took off. They begged me to take a vacation. Me and my wife went to Florida for eight days in January of the last two years. And I enjoyed it. And I'm determined I'm going to spend some time with her. But, but what I'm trying to say, that's why I'm there most time. On Wednesday night. I've got a good sister pastor. But a lot of preachers say. Brother Bobby. Give me a Sunday. Brother Bobby. Give, come on. Come on boy. And, and I know. I know. That if I do too much. My treasure is going to get over yonder. And my heart's going to leave gospel light. And I don't want to leave gospel light. I mean. You might say you're hoping to make 50 years. Bless God. I'm looking for 60 now. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I love that place. It, I live it all the time. My, my heart's there and, uh, night and day. And I don't want it to leave. But I've got to work at it. And you have too. And there may be a church over town. Over yonder other side of town or something. that you thinking about Well, I go. And you go over there. And one old fellow said I'm leaving gospel. Because the spirit's hiring another church. <laughs> and, and you start running around here. And yonder. You better keep your heart right in tune. And I want to say this. And I got to move on here. But I want to say this my friend. If you walk in here sometime. You say well our services are cold. They probably are. You go through all kinds. But let me tell you what to do. You look at your own heart. See what conditions it. You see. You remember what old David said. Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. It don't have to, it don't have to be adultery like he did. Restore to me the joy. And then I'll teach transgressors. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. But when our heart's not in it. The joy's not there. Work on that thing. Keep our vision. Keep our heart. And then let me just hit on this other one here. It is it, We've got to stay in prayer. I mean all these are sermons itself. But stay in prayer. In Luke 18. 1, me and Lord always pray and not faint. Back in my days. Back in days. Well early days. <laughs> I preached a whole lot in the mountains of North Carolina. Little country churches. And I loved it. I've been in I've been in little churches where they didn't have any Sunday school classes. I don't reckon you folks ever done it. A little auditorium, and it'd have a wire stretched from here and a wire yonder. Yeah. And some of you've been there, amen. And a sheet, you know, or something. And what you do on Sunday, you pull that sheet and you make your four classes. Now don't you holler too loud at your class over there. You mess me over here. Because all is different between the sheet. I preached a lot of those places, good old-fashioned, real people. Nowhere to have a prayer room. But, you know, we don't do it much anymore. But I remember used to get there, you know, and most of them are some woods around us. Them old preachers that say, let's go to the woods and pray. we got to have God tonight. Yeah, right. Oh, one old fellow said one day, one of my old-fashioned West Virginia men that used to teach my men's Bible class. He's with the Lord now. He didn't know I heard him. He's a good Bible teacher. And he, some fellows stand around talking to him, you know. I heard one of them say, Brother Grace, to use an outline when you preach, when you teach. And he said, I always have one handy, but if God comes, I don't need it. <laughs> I like that, don't you? I know what he meant. If God comes, and I, what I'm trying to say, we need prayer. Everything ought to be done and decent and in order. Let me tell you, we can plan program after program, but without the touch of God on it, it's not worth anything. And we need prayer. We got to pray. Now he prayed in Nehemiah 1, 4, he prayed. Nehemiah 4, 4, 6, 9. All you see him always praying. He's praying. Now they was fighting him, but he kept praying. And we will faint if we don't pray. And we got to pray. My old grandmother, Robertson, was almost blind, but she didn't want to live. She wanted to live by herself. And she, my boy Steve used to say, Daddy, Grandma prays and don't even close her eyes sometimes. She'd sit around, you know, and just pray. I went in there one day. She lived in a big old two-story house. I told her, I said, Grandma, somebody can move in the other side of that thing, live six months, you wouldn't know it. And she would never lock her door. I said, lock that door at night. She said, oh, Bobby, if anybody gets me there, let me go at the morning when they see me. Just, I mean, just a sweet old-fashioned Christian. But she sat around and prayed. Let me tell you what happened. About, uh, about, she said, Lord's going to take me home someday right here. And, you know, we found her one morning 
my uh, cousin went in to see her. We'd always go see her, live close to her, about 10 o'clock, and she was sitting on a couch. I think she died that night on her way uh, to bed. But a few months before she died, uh, I, I went by. I thought, I ought to go by and see Grandma. She lived a couple, three miles from me. I just opened the door, and she didn't she sat in here, you know, and, and uh, she didn't have any air conditioning. And uh, she was sitting rocking, and, and an old big, long uh, dining room uh, table there where she eat on. And it's a little old, uh, a fan, one of a reviving fan sitting there. And Granny was sitting there, and, and it was squeaking. And I went in, I said, Granny, how you? She'd catch your voice. She'd say, Bobby, that's you. I said, yeah, well, you didn't know Jesus sent you by here, did you? Well, I said, I never thought about it, Granny. Thought, oh, well, he sent you by. She said, you hear that squeaking in that in that uh, fan? I said, yeah. Well, well, she said, up there in the cupboard is some three-in-one oil, and I can't see to get it. And I just talked to him a while ago. And I told him to send somebody by here. So they could, said, get that oil and get that oil and all that fan there for me. You know, those people didn't live on pills all the time. They believed in prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. And we need to get back to believing in prayer. Now, I'm not against pills, don't misunderstand, but I'm just saying we need to pray or we're going to quit if we don't. Learn to pray. Just pray and keep on praying. Pray without ceasing. I want to, I want to share this with you. And I'll, I'll just got another thought or two. I asked the pastor if he knew Zeke Salzor in, Atlanta, in Los Angeles. Zeke is a Spanish preacher. I preached twice for him. He's got a best choir. I don't know what to say, but it sounds good to me. You know, I can't, you know, I mean, you know, the spirit bears witness. <laughs> And that place been packed out there. I said, Zeke, I'm afraid I can't think fast enough. He said, oh, yeah, you'll make it. So I have to say a word, and he interprets, and then I'm about to forget what I said, you know, I'm trying to catch. Anyway, I enjoy it. But he called me about a year ago. He calls me, preach that, preach that. And, he, and I'd been around in California, and your pastor's been there, Los Angeles, trying to help him find a place where they could move to. They didn't have room. And we go there, I mean, just no places, two or three million dollars, just half acre, you know. But he called me about a year ago. He said, Preacher, I want you to pray. Now, I'm not asking for money. I want you to pray. He said, he said, I found a place over here. I don't remember what it was. It, something like, it wasn't this, but like a, a, a food store closed up, Kroger or Food Fire or something. And he said, we can get that, Preacher. It's going to cost two and a half million dollars. And, and he said, uh, boy, our men could go in there and we could make a nice church building. Told me how many could see. And he said, preacher, he said, he said they've signed for a certain time that they'll let us have for two and a half. But he found out they can get more money out of it and they're hoping we won't have it by then. But this is what he said. He said, preacher, for weeks, We've had prayer going up all the time. He said, we have somebody comes in like six in the morning, stay at the altar and pray till seven. Somebody's there to release them to eight, all the way around the clock for weeks, just begging God to do something. This, now listen, this is what he said. He said, he said, uh, we was going to have to have a half a million dollars down on it before we could get it. I think it's two and a half, if I'm not mistaken, the whole thing. And he said, preacher, there's a, there's a, there's a Spanish man, Chinese fellow, Chinese fellow, I believe it was, said he'd come in here the other day, said he's mean, wicked, but we get his little boy to church. And he walked in my office. He said, well, he said, you're good to my children. They like it in this place. And I understand that uh, you you got you're going trying to get a place over yonder uh, that's larger, and said I understand that you that you only got a few days and you got to have a half million dollars. He said, "Now nah, I'm not going to give it to you," but I said you don't have to pay no interest. Not. He said, "Go on here you are and get it." I said he shell me out a half million dollars. He said, he said, he said, preacher. He said, he said, this man's real wealthy. I understand he's got $20 million. And he don't trust banks. 
He just got around other places. Preacher, keep praying. I said, I am. I'm going to pray God get old him and save him. And he'll loosen that other up. Give it to him. I don't know what's happened from it. But that's encouraging to me. God answers prayer, folks. When Zion travails, Isaiah 66, when Zion travails, children's born. And we need to pray. Now, get my points. Keep our vision. Keep our heart in it. Stay in prayer. And then, and then let me give you these not quick. Keep our Bible convictions. Amen. Now, listen. If we have to let down our Bible convictions to get a crowd, we haven't got anything. Now you keep your, now listen, if I had time, I'd go into it. Nehemiah 2.20, that's, that's talking about him. He said, our God will take care of us. That's what he said, Nehemiah 2.20. And here in this sixth chapter, uh, they was trying to get him to come down off the wall. You notice how they started making light of him and fun of him. That didn't work. So now they're trying to join him. I want to tell you something, folks. If I don't know anything about this Bible, it talks about God's people being a separated person. I don't think we ought to be a separated Pharisee. I'm not talking about that. But a different person. But let me tell you, if I know anything about this Bible, the people I'm around, I'll be like them. You know, the Lord always talked to the Philistines. I mean, the children of Israel about that. If you, you know, you'll be like them. Okay, now, he's trying to get them to come down. Now, if they had quit all this and went down and fellowshiped and see Sanballat and Tobiah was not Christians. If they had a fellowship with them, they might have won them over their way and have never finished that thing. And me and you's got to watch that thing. When a man doesn't believe the Bible... I don't like for men to try to tear my King James Version. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm getting off. Dr. John Rice used to preach for me some. He had this, I, I heard him say this one time. He said, I'm like the old Irishman riding a horse. He said he's up on the horse riding. And he said a, 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 a horse fly was biting the horse. You city people know what I'm talking about. Horse flies, okay. Or fly. And he said, he said an old horse was trying, was trying to hit the fly. And he kept reaching his foot up and hit it. Fly. Finally, he got his foot hung up in the stirrup. That old Irishman said to the horse, if you're going to get up here and ride, I'm going to get off. <laughs> and I heard John R. Rice say, if you modernists are going to get up here, I'm going to get off. I ain't going to ride with you. Don't you compromise. You stand true to this old book right here. He had Bible convictions. And then let me say this. Keep in mind, it's an eternal work. It's eternal. It's not just for now. It's eternal. Winning souls is eternal things. I share this, and I'm going to move on. i got several things here that I'd like to say about them. Just two more things I want to mention to you here. Uh, back here, maybe a year ago, I don't remember, six months, I got one of the sweetest letters. I can't hardly quote it without crying. I can tell you almost what it said. Dear Preacher Robertson, you don't know me, but I was saved in your bus ministry. We live 20 miles from your church. My father was an alcoholic and my mother was living a terrible life and it was nothing but a fuss and I thought I'll never get out of this mess and one Saturday somebody knocked on the door and said my daddy opened the door and said do you have any children that's not in Sunday school would like to come or something like that and he said I don't know I've got the girl you want to go and she said I came this is what she said in her letter now. She wrote me this letter. She said, Preacher, I thought nobody loved me. But every Saturday they'd come by to see me. And I think somebody does care. And she says in this letter, and she says, As I would come up that interstate, I'd sit and look out that old school bus and say, Boy, they love me. They'd come to get me. And she said, I got saved at your church. She said, I'm 28 years old now. I'm married to a fine Christian man. We have three children. 
God has called us as missionaries to Alaska. We just got our support and we're fixing to leave. Please share this with your bus workers. That's what I'm talking about. It's the eternal thing. I don't know how many souls them missionaries, but whoever's knocked on that door right there started something that's worth something for us. Eternal things. That's what I'm talking about. And always keep that in mind. And then always keep the next generation in mind if the Lord don't come back. Amen. If we don't stand. You remember in Joshua chapter 4 when the Lord, when Joshua told them, uh, the, the, those 12 priests, he said, uh, when you step down in, you know, the Lord separated the, the, the river of Jordan. And he said, when you go down across it, he said, I, I want you to get 12 stones out of the bottom of that Jordan. And put them up over on, on the hillside. And he said, then in years to come, when your children come by. And they said, what mean they, these stones? You can say, tell them the story. They come out of the bottom of Jordan. God performed a miracle right here. Let your kids know about it. Oh, I could pull up and park for an hour right there. How our young people know, need to know what God is like. An old time religion, they got to have it. And if there's no other reason we ought to keep on going, it's for the next generation. Next generation. Like I told you a while ago, I've got 12 great grandchildren. They love their papa. I got two little great granddaughters about their cousins. One of them's Three, I think, the other one's four. And I don't care every Sunday morning when I get through talk, they won't let mom and daddy go home till they see Big Papa. They got so many papas they call me Big Papa. I'm the, you know, and they got to hug Big Papa. I wouldn't want to let them kids down. I'd rather drop dead tonight to let them down. They need somebody in front of my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, they're her grandchildren. She told me this other day, she said, Daddy said, Brianna plays tricks on me. And that she was had her in church and she said, Nana, that's what she calls that grandma, I need to go to the bathroom. And said, we come out, she said, Nana, can we go in big Papa's office? And they went in there and I have a, a, a bathroom in my, in my office and she won't use my bathroom. My daughter said, I really still don't think she had to go. But she come out, and she wouldn't know her to get back in church. She's standing walking around looking. She said, Nana, look, I want to sit down in his chair. And she got over and crawled up in my chair, little old thing, three, four, three years old. And my, my daughter said, she said, Nana, he really loves me. I like that. I got a lot to live for God for. And you have too. We need to set the right example before the next generation, my friend. And if we quit, what are they going to do? And then, with this type of sermon, you can go on. Here's my last thought. It must be done in season. You remember what Jesus said? In John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Because night's coming when no man can work. I tell you, it bothers me, and I know I'm not a young man. It bothers me to think, and God don't have to have me, that I can't have as many years as I've had, but there's so much to do. So much to do. And so I'm saying tonight, let's be a Nehemiah. I'm doing too great a work to come down. i got to keep pressing on and being faithful. Let's bow and have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you take these thoughts, and I believe the Holy Spirit gave me and encourage every person here. Help us to be a Nehemiah. Help us not listen to the Tobias and the Sanballats, but just keep on the main thing. Realize God's work is the greatest work. It's the only eternal work. 
with our heads bowed just before I close this prayer, I want to ask you a question. I've been talking to us Christians, but I wonder if there's a person here tonight. You say, Brother Bobby, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know he died for me, but I never accepted him. And if I were to die tonight, I don't know I'd go to heaven. And I'd like for you just to pray for me. I'm not planning to come to your seat. just like to have a word of prayer. Is anybody like that? Would you just slip your hand up? I'd like to remember you, and I'll know what you mean. Anyone? Anyone? God bless your heart. I see your hand. The Lord wants to come into your life. That's all that really counts when it's all said and done. Now, we're going to pray for this now. Let me ask, let me ask one more question. Are you here tonight? You got discouraged. I don't know what done it, but you got discouraged. You say, Brother Bobby, I'm not working on that wall like I was. I've let this or this or the other kind of get in the way. And I want you to pray for me and with me that I get back in there. Would you slip your hand up? I'd like to pray for you. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Oh, we got the key. Yes, over here I see your hand. Anyone else like that tonight? Let's stand and pray together now. Now, Heavenly Father, this dear person asked me to bring them to you in prayer tonight. And I pray, dear Lord, tonight that as we maybe just have a song on the piano, whatever, that you would help that person to open their heart to Jesus. I'm reminded, Lord, where you said, I stand at the door and knock. And you've knocked at that heart tonight. And you said in that verse, if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And I pray tonight, as our pianist plays, that that person will open the door and say, Jesus, come on in. And step out here and tell our pastor tonight. I'm surrendering. I can't save myself. I can't get straightened out. Ain't no way I can straighten my life out. But I'm trusting Him as Savior to change me and save me and everything. Then I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who were so honest tonight. Who said, I've slipped back because of this and that and the other. God, I'm glad you spoke to them. And I pray they'll come tonight and just meet our pastor here, where they're members of this church, what well, doesn't matter. And just say, Brother Paul, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord tonight. I want to stay on that wall. God help them tonight to make that decision. And I'll thank you for it, and I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let's keep our heads bowed just a moment. As she plays softly on the piano, I want to ask you tonight, my dear friend, I pray for you. The latch is on the inside. You must be willing to open the door. Are you just willing? God's looking for people just willing. Are you willing? You say, I don't know nothing about it. I didn't know one verse of scripture when I got saved, but I knew as a sinner. And that's the main thing to know. And I wonder if you just step out right here at our pastor tonight and just come on right now. Say, I want to surrender this thing to the Lord. I need Jesus as my Savior tonight. And I and I want you to come. I want you to just keep just keep praying tonight. I wonder I wonder about you folks tonight that say, Brother Bobby, I just I just kind of got disgusted. Maybe my heart's I haven't kept it like I should. Some things got in it. And it's dampened me a little bit. And I've got a way. I want to just come talk to God right here about it tonight. Just mind the Lord. Just mind God. Yes, keep on on the wall, folks. Keep on on the wall. There's too many out there that's quitting. Those people around about us. Those neighbors. Those friends. They need to know they're lost. They need somebody. Maybe you've lost your vision. You want to get back. Say, God, I want that vision back. Why don't you step out and come? 
We'll have a prayer together right here at the altar in a minute. Why don't you do like these? Maybe you can't get down here on your knees, but you come and sit down here in the front row and say, God, I've come back to the Lord. If you need to, do that tonight. Do that tonight. Just mind the Lord, yes. I'm going to ask Brother Paul to come and pray for us here tonight. You know, I'm glad the Lord said if we confess our sins, not somebody else's, but our own. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul, you pray for us tonight.